This podcast contains language and topics similar to those found in James Joyce's Ulysses. It might not be suitable for young or sensitive listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Dermot. And we are going to start out today with the reading of a poem. This poem appeared in a conservative Irish newspaper called the Irish Society in June 1901. And it was written on behalf of some Irish troops who had fought on behalf of the British in South Africa in the Boer War. And this was written to commemorate their return to Dublin. Dermot, would you like to read this poem that is described here as touching and patriotic? Yes, I will. Okay. So the poem is called The Irish Yeoman's Return, or Love is Lord of All. The gallant Irish yeoman, home from the war has come. Each victory gained over foemen, why should our bards be dumb? How shall we sing their praises or glory in their deeds? Renowned with worth amazes, empire their prowess needs. The poem goes on in this vein for do, another good do, few do lines. Do you feel, as an Irish person, do you feel very patriotic right now? Well, a poem that's telling us how great the British Empire is, not particularly. <laughs> but it's, 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 I think, second rate would be, you know, passable, second rate, patriotic <laughs> grunge, maybe. Yeah. So you were the one who introduced me to this poem. Can you tell us a little bit more about the poem? Why are we reading this poem today? Yeah, it's a famous prank. Uh, my, one of my friends told me about this in the 1980s. It was the only thing I could tell you about the poet. Uh, one Oliver Singen Gogarty, and he had in 1901 submitted this poem to the Patriotic magazine. It got printed, and it was only after it was in print that it was very quickly realized that the poem was an acrostic. So if you read the first letter of each line, you you have a hidden message, and the hidden message in this case is fairly obscene for uh, the time. Uh, the horrors will be busy, so obviously the soldiers were going <laughs> to be coming end. back and. Uh, and using the services of the local prostitutes. Yeah, and this was written by a man named Oliver Sinjin Gogarty, who is the subject of our of our podcast today. And hopefully we learn a little more about him than that he had a, a pretty good sense of humor. So the reason we're talking about Oliver Sinjin Gogarty, who might not be a name you're familiar with, he was the inspiration for Buck Mulligan, Stephen Dedalus's Nemesis. Nemesis, <laughs> I suppose. I keep wanting to say frenemy, which is a word that I hate. Mm -hmm. But I think they start out as f kind of friends. But even by the end of the first chapter of Ulysses, it's pretty clear that Stephen Dedalus really has no time for Buck Mulligan. And that is kind of how the real-life friendship of James Joyce and Oliver St. John Gogarty went. One thing I have learned about Ulysses in the time I've been re-reading and rereading the book and researching it now this year, I would say it's roughly 60% trash talking on James Joyce's part. I go back and forth between having like 
some warm feelings for James Joyce as a person and just really disliking him pretty strongly. It sounds like if you knew him in real life, you'd be terrified of crossing the man because you're going to end up in one of his books. Yes. And that is how Gogarty felt about him. Let's talk a little bit about how they met because they were pretty good friends for a couple of years before everything fell apart. So Oliver Sinjin is spelled like St. John. But if you say Oliver St. John Gogarty, people will look down their nose at you. And in my life, that has been Dermot. <laughs> I mean, you could call us St. John if you like. I don't care. No, you told me that people would, would, would look down. Well, he's Hiperno uh, Irish too. So I know with British people, it's St. John. And, mm. um, you know, maybe the Anglo-Irish are different about it. But you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lose any sleep. Anyway, he and Joyce in the early 1900s met at the National Library where one of the important scenes in Ulysses is set where Stephen expounds his theory of Shakespeare. They struck up a conversation about Yeats and got to know each other after that. Gogarty was a very outgoing kind of man on the town character. He's remembered as being one of the wittiest people in Dublin at that time. He certainly had that reputation. Uh, James Joyce was really remembered for being very, very, very smart. He, you know, being very talented, very smart, but maybe didn't have that friendly, joking, prankster personality on his own. Because this is a time too when you have people like Oscar Wilde and Whistler and George Bernard Shaw who are kind of famous for a sparkling wit. Gogarty too, he wrote about Joyce in his autobiography, which is called Morning Became Mrs. Spenlove. And he opens his chapter about his time with Joyce by telling a story about after they'd met once and he bumped into Joyce on the tram and he went up and talked to him and said, oh, hi, I, I met you. And Joyce completely blanked him. He didn't. <laughs> I'm going to find the exact quote here. You are Mr. Joyce, I ventured. There was no reply. I felt embarrassed until I realized that his silence was due to a shyness as great as the diffidence of a lay brother in a monastery. Wow. Yeah, so that's Oliver St. John Gogarty in Morning Became a Suspend Love. He wrote a whole chapter about his time with Joyce, which we will reference so throughout this episode. So, so Joyce here, was how old is he? Like 21, 20? Yeah, early 20s, late teens. Yeah. So when we think of these people, we always think of them as, you know, their mature form of the of the person. And they're hopefully, at that, by that point, fairly confident and established. And, and we have to keep remi reminding ourselves, these are t 19, 20, 21-year-old mm -hmm. youths. And it's not apparent to the rest of the world that they're going to become great artists and mm -hmm. or, or even maybe to themselves half the time. One thing we'll see as their friendship progresses is Gogarty really saw a lot of potential in Joyce and no one saw more potential in Joyce than James Joyce. Mm. He's quite convinced of his own genius. But still very shy and awkward. and Yeah, know. but they, they became friends. And the story goes, according to Joyce's younger brother, Stanislaus, that Joyce never really drank before he knew Gogarty. Mm -hmm. And once they started hanging out, not only did Joyce drink, but he would go on all night drinking binges. He was really prone to blacking out, which Stephen does in the climax of Ulysses. So that's autobiographical. There, there are some notable blackouts in, in James Joyce's life, including 
a time where I can't remember which theater it was where, but he got in there to watch a like a dress rehearsal, but he didn't make it into the theater. He passed out in the the back hallway of the theater and uh, scandalized the young act- actresses who had to step over him, laying in his own sick. Oh my god! Yeah. So that all has. His origins with his friendship with Gogarty. Right. And it's notable, I think one was as bad as the other. They and they were pranksters as well. They would they they played some kind of nasty pranks on some of their friends that I want to talk about more another time, so we'll leave that for now. But I think it's notable that both of their families assumed the other one was the bad influence. Mm-hmm. That Gogarty's mother thought that James Joyce was an awful young man who was corrupting her son, who was a fine Trinity College student. He'd studied at Oxford for a time as well. He was a medical student. He was destined for great things, if not for that James Joyce. <laughs> and uh, Joyce's family, particularly his brother Stanislaus, said that Gogarty was the one causing all the trouble in Joyce's life. So I think they were probably equally guilty. Yeah, bards of a feather. Yeah. yeah. All right. Did you say bards of a feather? Oh, no. <laughs> so in real life, as in the book, they lived together in the Martello Tower in Sandy Cove. The version of these events in Ulysses are based on real life, but they are kind of shaped to meet the needs of the novel. We're going to talk right now about what really happened. The facts of this have been obscured over time because Gogarty wrote about this in his his autobiography, but he wrote the autobiography in the it was published in the 1950s. So I think there's a 50 year gap between when this happened and when he wrote it, hmm. nearly 50 years. Right. So some of the details got muddied and then Joyce changed some of the details in Ulysses, which is the much more famous account of this. Gogarty had this grand idea that he wanted to create this artistic bohemian movement in Dublin. He wanted to Hellenize Dublin to make it more Greek. He he loved the ancient Greeks. He implored Joyce to learn Greek. Joyce never learned Greek, but he said you need to not only learn Greek, but you need to read the ancients in their original Greek. It's the only way to read them. That's true culture. We need to bring that to Ireland. Well, yeah, here's a, a country that had their original language taken away from them, and, uh, and now he wants to impose Greek on them. I, I, I think he wanted to impose Greek on James Joyce. Uh-huh. I don't, I think he wanted to impose Greek culture on, on Ireland. Mm. And so he rented this Martello Tower. So there are a series of these towers along the coast of Ireland. The, the one in Sandy Cove was built in, I want to say, 1804. And they were built to keep Napoleon out of Ireland during the Napoleonic Wars. The one they lived in had been demilitarized either in the late 1890s or like 1900. So right before they moved in. And I think there are like a few of these in Canada as well, right? There no, are Martello just... Towers all over the world. Right. So just in case anyone is in Canada listening and they, you know, they, they might have one nearby if you're living in <laughs> Halifax, check it out. Um, yeah. Well, I think there are actually some like inland and in Ontario and places oh, too. Okay. Well, there's the, the southernmost one in Dublin area is in Bray, and it was owned by Bono for a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so lots yeah. of famous Irish I don't want to talk about Bono. I don't want to talk about Bono. A lot of famous Irish people have lived in Martello Towers. Mm-hmm. That's my point. Mm-hmm. Should have stayed in. So let's talk about the one in Sandy Cove. Yep. In Ulysses, Joyce writes that Stephen is renting the tower. That is not accurate in real life. Gogarty rented the tower. 
there is paperwork in the archives that shows Gogarty signing a lease in June of 1904. And he lived there on and off for a couple of years. Joyce himself only lived there for about six days in September of that year. Gogarty rented this tower with plans to turn it into the center of his Hellenization movement. He kind of did what a lot of artists will do is they'll find some cheap rundown place and then move in there and build their little artist colony. Right. It sounds like a, about as successful as the Van Gogh Gauguin project. Which... Oh. <laughs> he nicknamed the tower the Omphalos, which means navel or like belly button, which is a reference to the Odyssey. And it appears in Ulysses as well. He refers, the character of Buck Mulligan refers to their tower, which is the Sandy Cove Tower, as the Omphalos, which Joyce didn't come up with. That was, that was a mulliganism. Joyce actually only lived in the tower for about six days in September and not June of 1904. He bounced around to a lot of different places that summer. He would live with whoever would take him in until they would kick him out for not paying rent or until they got sick of him. And he turned up at Gogarty's doorstep finally. Gogarty wanted him there. He saw him as a great talent and he thought he could contribute a lot to their artistic movement. Well, Joyce was very resistant to the idea of Hellenization. Hmm. Yeah, Joyce, Joyce strikes me as somebody who wouldn't be a fan of highfalutin projects like that, like the Golden Dawn, the, the mysticism and all the Celtic myth, mythology yeah. and all this, anything hearkening back to this imagined ideal past. Mm -hmm. Joyce saw his own writing, which he was, I mean, at this point, none of his really famous things had been published. A few stories from Dubliners were published that summer, but I believe the the agricultural journal, I think it's called the Irish Homestead, that he was publishing in stopped accepting his work because he got too many complaints. <laughs> and the reason is, is because he saw his writing as being naturalistic. He wanted to write what people were actually like. He didn't want anything flowery or classical. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of at, at odds. But then again, like the Odyssey is the, the central framework for Ulysses, which is his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Joyce moved in. And by that point, there had been a lot of friction between himself and Gogarty. They have very, very different personalities, like we talked about. And they also come from very different social classes. Gogarty was a member of the Dublin elite. He traveled easily in elite circles. Joyce's family was in pretty dire financial straits. At the beginning of that year, his father had been selling most of their furniture and books. He sold their piano, even though he was you know, musical just to keep their family afloat. So we might think of them as maybe middle class, lower middle class. They had the piano. They were not working class people, but they were really hurting and struggling. Maybe They, they had had more money when Joyce was very young, and then his father lost a lot of their money through, I believe, bad business dealings. Um, and then by the time Joyce was in his early 20s, they were on the, the brink of starvation almost. Right. There was a massive, I won't get too uh, sidetracked, but there was a massive economic depression in the 1870s, mm. which a lot of people forget about, so maybe a lot of residue yeah. of that. But a major difference between the two is that Gogarty had money. He was comfortable amongst moneyed people, and Joyce really wasn't. He, he felt very uncomfortable around them. A lot of that is expressed in Stephen Dedalus's discomfort with Gogarty and with Mr. Deasy in the, the first couple chapters of, of Ulysses. 
Yeah, like if you come from like a um, lower social class, uh, you'll, you'll always feel slightly out of place, uh, if, if not very out of place when you're surrounded by people who are completely at ease with money or who will never have to worry about paying the rent. So I can I can empathize. Yeah. Because of this, Joyce borrowed a lot of money from Gogarty and he never he never paid any of it back. He he borrowed and borrowed and borrowed until Gogarty wouldn't give him any more. <laughs> and he finally offered him a place to stay in his tower. But there was another man staying there who in the novel is known as Haynes. But in real life, his name was Samuel Chenevis Trench. And he also went by Dermot. He was an Anglo-Irish man that Gogarty knew it from Oxford. He was an Oxford student. Do you want to define what Anglo-Irish is? Yeah, the people who had uh, of English ancestry who had settled in Ireland, um, sometimes called the Ascendancy, and they would have um, been the elite social class in Ireland, uh, kind of caught between two worlds as well. Over time, some of them become more Irish than English, but they have this weird dual identity. And they, they're still there. I mean, you, you'll still, not as many as there used to be after the uh, War of Independence, their numbers dwindled and a lot you know, left the country. But it, there is a kind of a uh, identity crisis with, with a lot of them. And a, a lot of the people in Ireland, too, would not regard them as being really Irish, which I think mm. is you know, unfair. But yeah. um, So Trench slash Haynes was not from Ireland. He was from England, but he loved Ireland. He was very, very keen Irish language learner. And that was a big reason why Gogarty brought him to Ireland, is he had learned to speak Irish, which was a, a language that was diminishing at that point in Ireland, but he was totally in love with traditional Irish culture and especially the language. And so Gogarty brought him and took him around Ireland so that he could, you know, speak Irish there and actually experience this place he loved so much. And Joyce resented the hell out of that. <laughs> he found it really cloying, basically hated this, <laughs> this kid. The, it, this all came to a, a head in September when I guess apparently Trench had night terrors. And so all three of them were sleeping in hammocks in this little round tower room. Which is a great place to sleep if you have night terrors. Yeah, yeah. Trench started screaming in his sleep about a black panther that he was seeing in the, the fireplace. And he grabbed his revolver and started firing at the black panther. And as Gogarty tells it, he took the, the, the revolver away from him and shouted, Leave him to me! And then shot down a bunch of tin cans that were hanging over Joyce's hammock, causing to them to shower down onto Joyce, who got very angry. It's not a nice way to wake up. Yeah. Stormed out of the tower and walked the, I believe, eight or nine miles back into Dublin proper. That's a long walk. Yeah, that's a long walk. In the you're rain. You're angry. In the middle of the yeah. night. And a few months later, he and Nora Barnacle left Ireland for good. He took that as, as a, a signal to go. In Telemachus, the first chapter of Ulysses, there's mention of, of Haynes having a Black Panther dream, of just shouting about the Black Panther. Although Joyce leaves out the, the details in his book about firing of the revolver. So I've, I've always wondered if that story is true or not, because Gogarty had a... Gogarty had a penchant for telling tall tales, and when you read Morning Became a Suspendlove, it's really entertaining, but a lot of the details in it are not terribly accurate. And mm. I've always wondered about the story about him actually 
firing the pistol. Well, we know he trolled the, the getting back to the start. He trolled yeah. that newspaper and you, you mm -hmm. always have to ask, is he trolling us as well? Yeah. Is this is a big put on and he's having a laugh. Yeah. And he, I mean, he was known for making stuff up and pranking people and doing things to just make people look ri ridiculous. So I don't know. I have some questions about the Black Panther, but something with the Black Panther definitely happened because Joyce remembered it strongly enough to reference it. And Gogarty himself says at the end of his recounting of the Black Panther story in his autobiography, Quote, this will explain the rather obscure reference to the Black Panther in Ulysses, but I am sure the Scolias can explain it much more obscurely. <laughs> so that's his version of events. The, their friendship was on the downward spiral for a long time. I think Joyce had a lot of resentment. Uh, 1904 was a really difficult year in Joyce's life. He basically had no money. He worked for a little bit at a school in Dalkey the school he works at in Nestor in Ulysses is based on, but he didn't have much money. He bounced around from place to place. He took up and then abandoned a professional music career and just just really knew that he wanted to move on. He didn't right. want to Didn't stay he in sing with John McCormick? He did, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He sang with John McCormick. He received an off offer from Oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote he wrote some very famous, he's a very famous Italian singer. He offered Joyce three-year training course in Italy to learn professional wow. singing. Yeah, yeah, he could have, he, yeah. So he could have. He yeah, could've he could have. Wow. The way Elman puts it in this biography of Joyce is that Joyce felt that he would rather be the first and only James Joyce rather than the second John McCormick. Right. He decided writing was, was the way to go and then worked very hard that summer on getting some of his work published. So it was a rough year for Joyce and it all kind of came to a head in the tower, which is why he opens the, the novel that way. I think it was a really seminal moment in his life. Mm -hmm. Yes, turning point. And I think that Gogarty looked at it as like, look at this jerk, <laughs> throwing a fit in my tower. I let him come stay here. Um, in my omphalos. In my omphalos. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a jerk the whole time. He's mean to my friend who's here. Other people had said that, I, I believe it was Joyce's brother, Stanislaus, again, who speculated that Gogarty wanted to kick Joyce out from the first moment he set foot in the tower because he was extremely unpleasant and gloomy. <laughs> but he was afraid to do so or even maybe to even not invite him to stay there because of what Joyce might write about him. <laughs> the way oh. um, Elman puts it is that Joyce weighed, so this is a quote from the Elman biography of Joyce, Joyce waged literature like a battle. Gogarty and Joyce took part in a lifelong battle in which Gogarty was severely worsted. <laughs> and so that brings us to the next section of our story. Joyce was furious with Gogarty. He was at his wit's end with him, but he saw him as betraying him, as turning his back on him. He never, ever forgave Gogarty for the rest of his life. Gogarty many times throughout their adult life would reach out to him and try to make amends, but Joyce never accepted it. And it's speculated that Gogarty reached out to him and tried to make amends because he was afraid of what Joyce would write. Mm. And he was right to be because Gogarty turned into Buck Mulligan. Mm. 
Um, I have one more quote here I want to read too. Uh, this was a quote, but from Vincent Cosgrove that said, I wouldn't want to be Gogarty when your brother comes to the tower episode. Thanks be to God, I never kicked his arse or anything. <laughs> Around this time too, he published a poem called The Holy Office where he, a young, un mostly unpublished writer, wrote how much more brilliant and genius-like he was than the literary establishment mm -hmm. in Dublin. No one would publish it. I wonder why. And he tried to publish it himself, but couldn't afford to pay the publisher. He waited another year until he had some money and then published it and sent it to people in Ireland from Italy where he was living then. <laughs> Joyce was a very angry fellow. He held onto grudges. He never let things go. And if he thought someone was a betrayer, he would feel that way forever. Some people will soften over time. Mm -hmm. it, I, I find it hard to really stay angry at someone. Yeah. I might not want to hang out with them, but I, I don't think I would feel that same level of anger. Yeah. But it's clear from his actions that he did. He never let this stuff go. It's really sad because, you know, that's the kind of thing that can damage you. Yeah, I think he, I think he was a bit damaged. Yeah. He's a very good writer, but I, I think he had some really deep emotional trouble. Yeah. yeah. During these years, so he left Ireland at the end of 1904 and he settled eventually in Trieste in Italy. And he kept notes because he was planning to write Ulysses. He, he started to take notes on a lot of the people that he knew because they would all become characters eventually in Ulysses. And that's true. As we go through this, we look at some profiles of these major characters. We see they're all people that Joyce knew. They're all people from his life. And many of them are unflattering portrayals on purpose. So, and you can find copies of his notebook. It's called the Trieste Notebook. It's in PDF form. I will put it in the episode notes. He has a whole section on Oliver Gogarty. And it's just a bunch of phrases he wrote down describing Gogarty. Um, I'm going to read a couple of them. The most casual scenes appear in his mind as the theaters of so many violent sexual episodes and casual objects as gross sexual symbols. Joyce on Gogarty. His coarseness is the mask of his cowardice of spirit. And heaven and earth shall pass away, but his false spirit shall not pass away. And I can imagine him fiercely scribbling that and then very angrily punctuating it. It's very religious in tone. It? He is, yeah. Mm. One thing Gogarty felt about Joyce is that he was too Jesuitical, he's too serious, he's too scholarly, he's yeah. too in his own head. Yeah. My read on is Gogarty just wanted to lighten him up. He liked Joyce. He he saw his his gifts and he he wanted to be his friend, but go excuse me, Joyce is a really hard nut to crack. Mm. He is an uncrackable nut, I would say. Um, immovable and took that all very personally. Uh, Gogarty definitely had a reputation for his body wit, as we could see in his poem. I don't ever remember the real name of the poem. I just, just call it the horse, the horse will the be horse busy. The horse will be busy poem. Yeah. He, he was willing and capable of, of trolling a conservative newspaper in that way. He messed around with his friends too. And Joyce never had a sense of humor for it. Mm. So Joyce took his revenge for... Gogarty's perceived betrayal in his writing in the characterization of Mulligan. So Buck Mulligan, like Gogarty, comes from a wealthy family, wealthier than Dedalus. He's a medical student. He is living in a tower by the sea. And he, the, <laughs> the phrase that always comes to mind is he's, a, he's kind of a gadabout. He's, anytime Stephen is being serious, 
he comes in and just kind of flips the table over. I'm going to, going to share a story from my personal life. I remember in high school, I was going to homecoming with my boyfriend and we were sitting in our kitchen in our fancy clothes, me in a big gown and him in a tuxedo. And my uncle showed up in his like dirty work clothes. And I was like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing? And just like came in, took over the room, uh, made everyone look at him for a second. And then my sister, who was just sitting in a chair, he took the chair, turned it upside down, put it on the floor with her still in it and walked out of the house. <laughs> that is that is Buck Mulligan's every entrance in this book. Okay. He he opens the book with a blasphemous mass on top of the roof. Stephen is mad at him because not only has he insinuated that Stephen killed his own mother through his refusal to pray at her bedside, but Stephen overheard him describing his mother as beastly dead, hmm. not even giving her the, the dignity of humanity. So he, overhear, did he, he overhears it and oh. then he's kind of like, yeah, I said that. When Stephen is in the library in Scylla and Charybdis episode expounding his crazy Shakespeare theory, Mulligan just shows up at the end and just rips it to shreds and makes fun of it. The other guys all that he's telling it, so the other people he's telling it to, you can tell, aren't totally sold on it. But Mulligan just comes in and is like, ah, that crazy thing. Oh, here we go. Anytime Buck Mulligan shows up, he thwarts all of Stephen's plans. He makes him look like a fool. And he's just kind of mean to Stephen. Hmm. Where you start out thinking that they're kind of friends who have a contentious relationship. But by the end, like, Buck Mulligan does seem like not only just a clown in his life, but really a very menacing and sinister clown. He's he's someone who shows up at every turn to make Stephen look like a jackass. Hmm. So if we're meant to sympathize with Stephen, we're meant to not like Buck Mulligan. He's always saying something rude and crass and disgusting. His mass, his, his crude mockery of mass at the beginning is later turned into a satanic mass in the Cersei episode. Yeah. He just, he really runs Steven to a lot of trouble. I always find him very entertaining because I know when he shows up, there's part of me that's just like, yes, this is about to go completely <laughs> sideways. And I, I love a bit of chaos, but Steven doesn't like it. And he really does make Steven's life very difficult. Just kind of for the hell of it. <laughs> he, and Joyce himself said on Mulligan, when he was writing Mulligan to one of his friends, he should begin, so... This is what Joyce says of Mulligan. He should begin to pull on the reader as the day goes on to the extent that Buck Mulligan's wit wears threadbare. Hmm. Wit, which was Gogarty's main characteristic, Joyce wants to just turn it into an, something very annoying. Right. You know, if you, you've had a friend who thinks they're really funny, but they're kind of not. Yes. And it just wears on you over time. It's like a Saturday Night Live sketch mm -hmm. that goes on and on <laughs> and on. And there are so many details of their friendship. If you look in the, the Trias notebook, there are some just exact word-for-word -word descriptions that he pulled out of there. And so he describes Gogarty in this notebook as having a plump, shaven face, stately plump Buck Mulligan, hair grained and hued like pale oak, and the su sullen oval jowl that recalled a prelate patron of the arts in the Middle Ages. And those are both lines that appear verbatim in Ulysses. There are also just so many little things. If you find a good annotation, you can go through 
Telemachus line by line and everything is some something that Gogarty said to him. I don't want to go through every single one right now, but one thing that stands out, especially from the opening of the book, is that Mulligan always calls Stephen Kinch, K-I-N-C-H as a nickname, Kinch. Mm -hmm. It's uh, supposed to be an onomatopoeia, the sound of a, a cutting knife. I think Joyce was just a little too sharp of character. Oh, okay. You call him Kinch, Kinch, Kinch. It's that cutting sound. He's cutting character, too. <laughs> and that's what Mulligan calls Daedalus, as I said. And that's what Gogarty called Joyce in real life. Hmm. That was his nickname for him. He, he also called him Wandering Angus, which Mulligan refers to Stephen as in The Wandering Rocks in Ulysses. And he called him the Dante of Dublin, which that one is nice. I think that's a nice one. Gogarty in real life also saved multiple people from drowning, which Buck Mulligan did too. And Stephen really reflects on that very bitterly, which I think shows Joyce's frustration with Gogarty. Because he's he's a handsome guy, he's popular, he's witty, he's wealthy, he's well-liked, and he saved people's lives. He's altruistic Mm. too. And apparently from what you described before, he... He would just pull people out of the Liffey and walk away. I yeah, think. I remember reading a story about he saw a man drowning in the Liffey. He jumped in, pulled him out, made sure he was okay, and walked away. Right. There was no hashtagging or Instagramming it back in well, those days. The lack of internet really was. <laughs> An inhibiting factor. <laughs> but he wasn't sticking around for the uh, Irish press to come around and interview him or anything. No, not at all. I think that had a really great on Joyce because mm. he didn't like him. You could imagine even like someone from high school or something that really graded on you. They're just Mr. or Ms. Perfect. And then if they're actually a nice person on top of it, ooh, that's the worst part. That's the most gulling part because you can't totally hate them. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting Gogarty was a perfect person. He was kind of an asshole in some ways. He was mean to Joyce. He really said to Joyce that his mother was beastly dead. Mm. Joyce writes about that in a a letter to his mother. Okay. Um, His mother? Oh, shoot. <laughs> Thank you. Joyce said that in a letter to his brother, Stanislaus. So mm-hmm. as far as we know, that's something that Gogarty really said. Which you, is... you told a grudge about something like that, yeah. 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 No, you would. I think if, if somebody uh, had said that about anyone's mother, that's the kind of thing you could mm-hmm. hold on to for a long time. Yeah. So while Joyce took a very pointed and active revenge on Gogarty During his lifetime, Gogarty kind of took the high road and saved any criticism of Joyce until after Joyce passed away in the early 40s. And then at that time, he wrote some he wrote an article about who the real James Joyce was. And he wrote he wrote several autobiographies that speak pretty candidly about how he felt about Joyce. There's always a little bit of fondness in in the stories I read in the autobiography that I own. Again, Morning Became Mrs. Spenlove. But you can tell he was really sick of Joyce. He found him really petty and annoying. Mm. He did say, there's so many good quotes in this episode. Which one should I? I'm, I'm going to go with this. And he said of Ulysses in Mrs. Spenlove that he... He definitely didn't like the way he was portrayed as Buck Mulligan. He didn't like the character. He thought he was really crass and disgusting. But he said this, that Joyce, and this is a quote, Joyce paid me the only kind of compliment he ever paid. That is to mention a person in his writings. 
He described me as shaving on top of the tower. In fact, I am the only character in all his works who washes, shaves, and swims. <laughs> so, yeah. He seems to have a good sense of humor about it. Yeah, I always found it a little bit sad, though, that they were such good friends in their youth, and mm. they just ended up hating each other. Yeah. The real vengeance that Joyce got on Gogarty, though, was through poetry. Because Gogarty, amongst the other things, he became a well-known surgeon. He, I believe, was a senator for a while. He was very active in the 1916 rebellion. He really contributed a lot to Dublin society during his life. On top of it all, he was also an aspiring poet. I've seen him, I've seen him described sometimes online as a second-rate poet, poet, which really makes me sad mm. because after reading about him so much, I've kind of come to like him. He wrote a lot of serious poetry. He was even backed by Yeats, but in the end, the poem he's best remembered for is one, not only the whores will be busy, uh, which is what he's known for in our house, <laughs> he was known for a poem called The Ballad of the Cheerful but Slightly Sarcastic Jesus. And if you're a Ulysses reader, that probably sounds familiar because in Telemachus, he recites a poem, or excuse me, in Telemachus, Buck Mulligan recites a poem called The Ballad of Joking Jesus, which, in which he recites a few stanzas of the poem. They're slightly changed. I wrote a whole post about that if you want to see the specifics of that. So this was a blasphemous poem written by Gogarty. It was written in 1905 and put into a letter by a mutual friend of Joyce and Gogarty's named Vincent Cosgrave and sent to Joyce in Italy as a peace offering, basically. It was around Christmas. Gogarty foolishly thought a year has passed. I'm going to send him this funny poem. And we'll be friends again, and he won't write anything mean about me in his poems. Gogarty sent it to him, Joyce received it, and took this poem that was a joke amongst friends, never meant for publication, and published it in his book. And the kicker was, too, for years and years and years, people thought Joyce had written it. And it wasn't until the 1950s, long after Joyce had passed away, that Gogarty was like, yeah, that's, that was mine. I wrote that. It's in a letter. All of his letters are archived now. But Joyce really saw publishing this poem in particular as a dig at Gogarty by portraying Buck Mulligan as someone who was just irreverent for the sake of being irreverent. Kind of like if you have someone on your Facebook who just posts rude memes all the time and just goes, lol, I'm going to hell. Hmm. Kind of like that level of irreverence right. where there's, there's nothing deeper behind it. Joyce saw his personal blasphemy as the blasphemy of an artist. Um, that when someone like Stephen Dedalus or James Joyce was saying something blasphemous, it was very deep and well thought out and had an artistic force behind it. Whereas when Buck Mulligan and by extension Gogarty said it, it was just non nonsensical A rudeness. Cheap joke just for for yeah, giggles. Yeah, yeah, just for the lulls. Hmm. Joyce confirmed this in, in, in the Trieste notebook he wrote, Gogarty's coarseness of speech is not the blasphemy of a romantic. Which again, I imagine him folding his arms in front of his chest as punctuation after he writes that, like, ah, ah. But yeah, this poem that was written to men fences and never intended for publication was published with the sole purpose of making him look foolish. Hmm. Which is really mean. That's really mean, right? It is. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. another poem, too, that appears later called Medical Dick and Medical Davy, which is 
we'll just say he rhymes Davy with gravy, and it's not a culinary poem. Oh. I that's it's a poem I wanna I wanna talk about I wanna write about and talk about more later. So we'll just leave it for now. But it's another like gross poem about semen. So <laughs> I I was afraid of that. Yeah, and Gogarty wrote that too, and then that was. Those are his best-known poems. They're the ones that got published in Ulysses. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you another poem that Gogarty wrote. Mm. I suppose I could just Google it. <laughs> but um, I do think, though, Gogarty had a very positive legacy in Joyce's writing. I don't know that Joyce would ever acknowledge this. But a big difference in Ulysses between his earlier, earlier works is that Ulysses is actually a very funny book. It's one thing we really enjoyed in our book club last year was stumbling over these fun little bits of wordplay, jokes that are actually funny, a lot of rudeness and bodiness that, again, I mean, we laughed out loud in our book club, at least. Whereas, like, the things he wrote before, particularly poetry and chamber music and the portrait of the, a portrait of the artist as a young man, they're not exactly laugh riots. Mm. They are very grim. Dubliners, which I, I love Dubliners, but Dubliners tends to make me very sad and it's a bit melancholy. Right. So that the extra ingredient that might be giving Ulysses yeah. that yeah. vitality is from yeah. Mr. Gogarty, perhaps? I think so. I think he did influence Joyce in that way. He, mm -hmm. he added a bit of levity to his natural gravity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he helped the yeast to rise. <laughs> <laughs> and to cap this story off, on the night Joyce died, there were two books on his bedside table in Zurich. A Greek lexicon and a copy of Oliver St. John Gogarty's I Follow St. Patrick. Oh. So he never, he never let go. Yeah, to the end. To the end. Even the title of the book is, based, well, it's based on Homer's Odyssey, which is Greek. Mm -hmm. Was that like a sick joke or was he trying to get at him in one last... I... What was, what was that <laughs> well, about? I've never considered that before. That would be evil if he was just like, haha, I'll leave these books here. Yeah. Um, I know I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to leave these here. I'll show <laughs> that guy, show that yeah. jerk. Yeah. I hope not. I've, I've always interpreted it as he... Maybe he really did have some regrets about hmm. just giving the middle finger to his, his friend his whole life, you know? But he was too stubborn to ever, ever admit that he was wrong. Yeah. That he really was trying to learn Greek and he kept up with Gogarty's writings. That's yeah. how I've, I've chosen to interpret it. Yeah. I have no idea what goes on in James Joyce's head when it comes to his personal relationships. Yeah. He's, he, he really does seem like he was needlessly harsh and just angry and bitter. Yeah. Very paranoid. <laughs> I keep running down the subject of my podcast. Um, yeah, he, uh, he had some, he had very fraught personal relationships mm. um, that he explored in Ulysses. So I, I've really enjoyed reading about this and talking about it because it, it's revealed so much to me of his inspiration for Ulysses. So right. it, it really, um, illuminates that, that part of his, his writing for me. I think so. Yeah. From what you've described, and you've read the book and I haven't, but I've been following <laughs> it through your kind of researches and yeah. Yeah, readings and digging up the old Gogarty books. Yeah. yeah, well, I guess in conclusion, I've I've written multiple essays on Gogarty and Joyce and how that shows up in Ulysses for our blog. Dermot has done some very wonderful whimsical illustrations of Gogarty as well in the form of Buck Mulligan. And you can find those all on our blog, which will be in the, the end notes. 
And if you check out the show notes on our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com, um, I will include links to each of those posts so you don't even have to search the site to find them. That's why should you have to search the site? They should be there. Yes, so. they should be there. <laughs> All right. We make it easy for our fans. Absolutely. Right. All right. Until next time, I guess we'll see you in two weeks. Yep. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to have another podcast out in about two weeks, so we hope you can join us then. Be sure to check out the Blooms and Barnacles blog at bloomsandbarnacles.com for a new essay every Monday by Kelly with original artwork by me. You can email any questions or comments to bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at BarnacleCast. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just search Blooms and Barnacles podcast and you'll find the public group there. Just answer the questions and Kelly will approve you. Until next time, bye.